Welcome everyone to CityWise first ever Advice Around the World podcast. It's all about financial planning and the best stories we can find from the international planning community. We're Ian Horn and Amelia Garland from CityWire. We do similar jobs, but I'm based in London and Amelia works from our New York office. Amelia, tell us about what you do. Thanks so much, Ian. So I head up the relationship management for our US business at CityWire, meeting with all the Yanks across the country. <laughs> I travel almost every week, well, I used to, uh, meeting with independent registered investment advisors, learning about their unique founding story and how they thrive and differ. I also cover investment research analysts at the global private banks, broker dealers, and consultants. All of my travels and meetings help to contribute content to our monthly publication and daily newsletter for CityWire, RIA, and Professional Buyer. The independent RIAs have been a huge area of focus the last two years for us. As you both know, it's a booming part of the industry with the number of breakaways that take place almost every day. So, so my role is similar. Um, there's more rain, tea, and sarcasm involved, but otherwise, <laughs> pretty much the same thing. Um, I travel across the UK. I speak to financial advisors about how they're running their businesses. Uh, spreading the word about financial planning is a, a force for good, as it's not something that's always talked up, you know, as a good thing, but it is. Um, I work across CityWire's new model advisor and wealth manager brands, so I also speak to wealth managers, some private banks, a handful of family offices too, which sounds glamorous, but I also spend a lot of my life at train stations and in business parks. Um, I also write a regular column on fintech, which I call Ian's Tech Travels, very imaginative. Um, that takes a look at how planners can harness technology to be better, faster, more efficient, and so on. And, and that's pretty much me. So this is Advice Around the World. And in this podcast, we are going to share some unique stories and insights from financial planners. We are here to talk with the pioneers and trailblazers in our industry to understand not only the people behind the stories, but also find some fun and interesting facts about them along the way. And first off, we have a man with his own Wikipedia page. That's some achievement. Uh, a man who's been one of the Queen's official bodyguards, that's right, and is now based in Dubai and working hard to bring proper financial planning to an area that isn't really renowned for it. So, Sam Instone from AES International. Welcome to Advice Around the World. Sam, good to have you. How are you doing? Good. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Great. So we, we've mentioned some pretty big things there. Um, we'll get back to those shortly. Um, but without mentioning any of that, and by that I mean the Wikipedia page, I mean working for the Queen's Cavalry. Um, I also mean Dubai as well. Imagine for a second that you're at a dinner party now and tell us something about you that we don't know. Something interesting. Well, if I was at a dinner party, I would no doubt tell you the story about the day I saved the Queen's life. Ian. And... It's a little, I, I take you back and ask if you've seen the film with Kevin Costner um, when he saved Whitney Houston. Have you seen The Bodyguard? Yep, I love it. Great, Great sometimes, I date, sometimes I date myself when I ask, ask people that. But, uh, I, I, <laughs> I get suspiciously quiet for good reason uh, then, Sam. So. You've got a the fan dinner, here. <laughs> at, at, the, at the dinner parties, I take people back to that or maybe sometimes in the line of five when Clint Eastwood saves the president from John Malkovich and I then talk about the day I saved the Queen's life. I build it up. I can't tell you the whole story here because we haven't got enough time, but it's one of those fairly tall stories, which actually uh, the bullet wasn't a bullet. It was an egg. I wasn't <laughs> that close to the queen and it was the Scottish throwing an egg at me. And I like to like to make that story quite long. Uh, I, and it builds up to a, a big anticlimax of the, the day I took an egg for the queen. <laughs> In the line of fire, nonetheless. In the line of fire. And 
I mean, outside of saving the queen, which is, which is a great story to kick off of, do you, what are some noteworthy stories from working for the, the royal family um, outside of this and, and you know, what you did every day? And are you even allowed to talk about it? I, I know you can't mention the full stories, but we'd love, sure. to, we'd love to hear more. Uh, I'm obviously, being the military, it's an amazing privilege. Um, being in the, the House of Cavalry, when you're on ceremonial duty and guarding the queen, uh, it's a fan, fantastic experience, particularly for people relatively young and um, being the captain of the guard. But I, the, I have a great story about the man which I shared a room with. And every night he would um, serenade girls and I would tell them how terrible he was on the, the guitar. He'd get out his guitar, start playing <laughs> and singing to them. And I'd shout through, well, shut up, shut up, you're no good. And we, the, the day we changed, I remember it well, the, the last guard with each other, he was sitting on his horse whilst the soldiers were changing. And I said to him, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm going to become a pop star. I said, no, you're not. You're terrible. And <laughs> within about three years, he became the biggest selling singer in the world. And it was James Blunt. No and, <laughs> yeah, and, I, and I lived right next to James Blunt for years, listening to him and didn't appreciate anything. And I sometimes take myself back and think, if only I had told him he was brilliant. And I, could carried, I, could have, I could have carried his suitcases around the world, could have organized his logistics, followed him around the world, had a rock star lifestyle. Um, but instead, I get a much better job, financial services. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, James Blunt spends most of his time now making fun of himself on social media. So I think he might have agreed with you. Um, yeah, he's great. Great guy. <laughs> and the other thing is... Um, Obviously, we've jumped into this, but, but quickly, I'm going to ask you more about military service quickly, but um, it'd be good to know about AES International, just so people listening know about you and your business and what you do. So we uh, like to think of ourselves as the organization that goes, takes financial services to places which other financial services don't like to go. Uh, initially, because I was in the military, we specialized in uh, high-risk and hazardous areas in places like Iraq and Afghanistan and wanted to export um, UK best practice at the time in order to support the firms which operated in that type of area. And as we matured, we decided to focus on the opportunity, not really of hostile areas and hazardous professions, but exporting what we see as best practice from the American market, the UK market, um, Singapore, Australia, New Zealand, where they have developed financial services legislation, exporting it into other um, parts of the world with an idea to transform, disrupt and innovate. So we spend a lot of time looking at best practice in the different markets and think, how can we now transpose that in and around the Middle, Middle East? Many firms don't like dealing with international cross-border, multi-jurisdictional or mm. um, dom non-domiciled, non and that's exactly what, what we do. We only deal with non-residents or international professionals traveling around, and we look at how can we um, take best practice from more developed, more mature markets and put it into our very much developing one. Great stuff. And we're going to get back to a lot of that stuff soon. But I want to go back to the military service stuff because it's not every day we, we speak to someone who's protected the Queen from a flying egg. Yep. Um, so um, my next question is, is in what ways did, um, did military service influence you as a financial planner? Um, you know, and, and not just in the terms of, you know, military precision or things like that, but did it kind of change your outlook on life as well? Great question. And I think the military or a bit of the, being an officer in the military it's about service and our tagline and our cat badge which is serve to lead when we're at the royal military academy and i very much think that financial services should be a profession 
um, like other vocational professions, whether that's medicine, architecture, engineering, law, and where we serve others. And so the core values which are inculcated um, with, within the military of knowledge, um, integrity, treating people like you want to be treated yourself or like they want to be treated, and operating in teams, I think underscore why um, financial services should we're so passionate that it should be a profession, not really the industry which it's often refer, referred to, where people are vending, manufacturing, vending products. We're really passionate that by serving others, we can make it a profession and forge professional standards in markets where they, they don't really have so well developed professional standards. Mm -hmm. um, and, and can I just go a bit further with this question as well? Because I, I kind of suspect that, you know, being in the military, you probably you probably get a better idea of your life's priorities, I assume. Um, and, and does that in some way reflect when you're speaking to a client and they're not knowing what to do with themselves or not knowing the broader purpose of their finances? Um, does, does military service in some ways help you to de deliver better advice, uh, you know, in, in, that, in that perspective? Well, I, I think for, for me, we spend a lot of time looking at disc profiles and strengths finder and it's interesting as a planner um, and having coaching conversations, of course, in the military, we have quite robust leadership um, stamped upon us and we have a robust leadership stamped upon us and can be fair, fairly um, a good sense of humor on everything. And I think being cognizant of different strokes at different for, for different folks at different times and when we're having coaching conversations I have to always make sure that it, it's about them it's about the client it's about their purpose and make sure that I'm um, it's not making it about what I what I think and so I think it's got pros and cons both, both ways but I think ultimately I took from the military great resilience great adaptability and great core core values um, but I think in terms of planning, I think there's a time for coaching conversation, a time for leadership. And I like the leadership training that the military gave me and making sure that I can apply it at different, different times to different people. And I've seen a lot of your work on, on the website and I, I looked at your blog as well on, on promoting positive change. And what are some ways you've done that in your organization? And I'd love to jump into after that about the diverse group of individuals you've hired at the firm and how you find exceptional talent that, that helps promote positivity within, this or, within your organization. Amelia, our mission, um, and thank you so much for looking in detail at what we do. So our mission statement is all about pos positive, positive change. And we look at that as trying to make incremental improvements or marginal gains kaizen and how can we do that for our clients with their lives make lots of little adjustments um, and how can we do that for our marketplace when i talked about that transition from industry into forging transforming it disrupting it innovating it into um, a, a better profession and we, we think that that really under, underlines the planning process which we want to export and and, and deliver to our clients how can we make their lives better or more more on on purpose and our organizational purpose how can we make the community of which we're part part of here in the middle east better and we want mm -hmm. to be in constant momentum if i think about the darwinian quote it's not the, the most intelligent or the strongest that survived but it's the one most adaptable to change i think that adaptability 
um, which we try to inculcate in um, our organization and transpose to make sure that our plans, which we're delivering to clients, are adaptable um, and constantly being changed in a positive way to create a better outcome for the client. With the individuals at your firm, um, and, and when you're looking to hire, what are some of the key attributes you look for in, in a financial planner when they're joining your firm? We've found getting right fit people the biggest challenge that, that we can. And actually, we think that the industry doesn't have, the, the last generation doesn't have the right fit people for what we want to do. Um, and so we actually have an acronym. We're looking for SWANs. Um, so our ensemble practice or super ensemble practice of the future and how we, we're on that mission to tra transform and change. We're looking for smart people who work hard, who are ambitious, nice and selfless. And we have, we love SWANs on our screensavers and we constantly think the people that we recruit, recruit in at the bottom of the career track, um, our entry level position, our graduate scheme is um, for associates. And we were looking to bring in right fit associates who are smart, work hard, ambitious, nice and selfless and make sure that they spend five years um, learning, um, doing their qualifications. It takes 10,000 hours or five years to become a chartered financial planner and we're a chartered financial planning firm um, at that base level. And then they progress to senior associate, associate director, and then di director up that career career track. But we see if we can bring in the right fit people um, who are young, who haven't necessarily been exposed to many of the practices which are common here in the Middle East, um, then, then we're on the right track. We also have an, an acronym for exactly the people that we don't want, but I'm not sure I can say it on your podcast. <laughs> Next time. Next time. <laughs> I was going to say, do you, do you ever bring on anyone who's a bit older, though, just out of interest? So with experience hires, so the, um, what, not, not so much. So we think ideally um, we would like to bring people in, in at the base, and we've been doing it for um, some, some years, and put them up and then re-recruit and promote from, from within. I think it difficulty with experienced hires is often they want to be paid for prior performance and we like um, paying for um, pe recruiting people that can grow into a role and paying them for high performance not prior performance and so uh, I'm lucky that I've stalked enough other firms and, and spoken to enough other business leaders to be wary of the promises which people can bring um, and the different culture culture fit because we have a very specific culture with um, very one way, one firm, one farm. And we talk about one crop, somebody plants a seed, weeds it, waters it, and we grow a harvest and we all work together happily on a happy farm. Whilst we find if we recruit from people from outside, they might bring a different investment philosophy, a different process um, and different expectations. So for us, we're trying our hardest in most cases to recruit um, at the base of the, the pyramid, like a professional services firm, but with accountants or lawyers. Mm -hmm. And to move this to something a bit different, I mean, we, I said at the beginning that, you know, my, my, my role over the last, it's been five plus years now, has been traveling across the UK, speaking to financial planners, you know, about what they do. And whenever the Middle East is brought up, or, or even Dubai in particular, uh, people's opinions are, are quite low. You know, people talk about it like it's kind of the Wild West for financial planning. Um, and is there any truth in that, Sam? Well, my uh, American history, yeah, I, I remember the Wild West wasn't meant to be as 
bad as it's portrayed on the westerns i think it was 1850 to 1910 and and there's lots of stuff saying the wild west isn't actually that bad and all of america at that time was quite bad but the rea reality is probably worse than that in dubai because i think the medieval period went from 500 ad to 1500 um so 500 years before the wild west and I'd say there's a lot of truth, if I'm honest, in the statements and expectations of people in developed markets like the UK, the, the US or Australia. We are millennia behind uh, and many of the stories which I could talk about in terms of financial genocide against expatriates, people simply wouldn't be able to comp comp comprehend uh, the whole um, systemic, uh, there's a, a systemic problem here which which puts us years and years and years and years and behind the wild west sadly so i'd say that they're, they're, they're definitely true but um, yeah. probably pr probably giving us too much credit well to give some kind of usefulness to people that might be listening in that maybe aren't financial planners or as that most of the people will be listening will be but um say you're a client and you've just moved to dubai how would you spot uh, financial planning or financial advice that doesn't have your best interest at heart? Normally, the, the typical way would be that they, they would receive a cold call. And so very much here is um, direct, direct cold calling and they'd meet a charismatic um, person, possibly in a cafe, who would uh, become, maybe ca become their friend, invite them to golf, go for drinks with them, take them for a meal, and then um, probably sell them a long-term contractual saving and saving scheme um, which is in the UK we call the maximum investment plans or endowment plans which transfer a lot of commission which is entirely undisclosed within this operating operating environment or potentially they'd want to move their pensions but basically it's characterized financial product sales here by cold calling meeting charismatic very outwardly trustworthy salespeople who are really selling a product is it true that AES is the only fee-based firm in Dubai? Yes. So the um, sadly here here in the Middle East, they they don't, haven't even got to disclosure yet. So there aren't um, there isn't a commission of the fees debate, um, which is better fees or commission because they're unlike post the FSMA two thousand in the UK where you mm -hmm. had disclosure of fees and charges. Here there there is none, and I actually got. Um, filed against me here by a global product provider and I had written in the newspaper the, the total charges of a, of a product and somebody had um, I write a newspaper column here for the national somebody had asked um, how much does a product charge and in my response I had written the total amount which the client would have had to pay so I added up all the little charges in the back in the um, terms and conditions and they actually put in a complaint against me because they said that it was potentially defamatory because it made them look bad in the, wow. in the in the press and the legal system here when i i talked about the wild west or slightly before that the legal system here um supports that type of case um because you can't make here make anybody look bad so by putting the total charges in in the hole i i made that global firm who adheres to best practice in most of the markets around the world and is at the forefront of treating customers fairly but here they make hay whilst the sun shines 
and don't want their um, very expensive, opaque, inflexible, and in my view, toxic products, um, the charges made public. I mean, that's a bit about how your peers react to that. Um, how do your how do your clients uh, knowing that that you are the only fee based firm in in Dubai? I mean, if, it's really about the education process because, of course, if you don't know what fees you're paying or what you're being charged, you think that everything is free, mm-hmm. uh, and so it's very hard to benchmark or anchor. And so we're, we're not we still haven't reached the our commissions or fees better. Um, do you do you think you're having free advice? Is, is that always in your best interest? What are the possible um, drawbacks of free free advice? But that's why we spend a lot of time on social media um, with digital marketing trying to educate our marketplace upon why we think um, fee-based advice is in the client's best best interest and what are the different parts of financial planning which we think are client-centric and what do we think a great organization should be doing because it should be self-evident for most businesses if they want to have a great future they should align with the client's best interest so for me it, there is no debate over fees or commissions we just want to align with what we know even if the clients themselves don't know is in the client's best interest yeah and you might have actually kind of answered this in part but um you know how do you set an example for what financial planning should be because it seems to me like you're a very distinct firm within dubai and you're taking things you've learned internationally and you're bringing it to that market so how do you make sure you kind of are that beacon that others can look to? What, what do you do? Well, I, I think uh, the, the challenge and the joy as well, because I look at this, I love the financial planning profession, is creating a compelling proposition that helps people create positive change in their lives and become the best versions of their, their selves and focus on life. And I think the key for us, the compelling um, value proposition for the type of clients which we want to, want to serve um has three bits it's financial planning so we focus first on the financial plan which is giving the client a plan um for for their life so they can actually see and that might be cash flow forecasting and so that we can talk about um how much is enough when can they retire and begin to answer life's life's big, big big questions the second part is um, a systematic evidence-based investment process um, an understandable defensible intelligent investment philosophy because then we know we can help clients stay the course um, and remain focused on their financial plan and the third and final bit would be fiduciary um, standards of service um, and inculcating that throughout our, our our business and we think that if we can build a, a leading compelling proposition for our clients then they they will come and i feel very privileged to be able to look into lots of developed markets having um, we are ultimately a uk uk business i can look into the uk i can look at a lot of the american firms a lot of the american bloggers a lot of the american knowledge leaders the um, the canadians the australians the new zealand i can look at what works and i can tinker with little bits and we ultimately have a blank canvas here in the middle east a huge opportunity to export best practice and ultimately um, create that ripple effect which not only really benefits the, the those people we are serving but also hopefully in time the the other firms will set up here and do the same type of thing and our market will become better mm-hmm. do you expect that to happen i thought it would happen quicker than it has there are lots of challenges to setting up 
here in terms of um, capital adequacy and licensing re requirements. Um, but some people have come, but they tend to, in the Star Wars um, analogy, turn to the dark side quite quickly because you can make here a vast amount of money um, very quickly if that's what you want to do. And for our final question now, Sam, you have our audience listening internationally. This is your parting shot. So what advice do you have for the international planning community? Wow, my parting <laughs> shot. I no pressure, Sam, no pressure. Well, <laughs> to be honest, I've got probably a quick bit, which is I love um, my, my Kitsi's Nerd's Eye View, his blog. Um, for me, that yes. was a pivotal um, the, the day I discovered I was on holiday in the UK and I'd Googled something, I discovered this blog, which had so much practice management knowledge, mm -hmm. so much best practice, interviews with so many other knowledge leaders um, that uh, I think it's been transformative. He's done so many um, life-changing articles and given so many um, free, free resources. So I, I think subscribe to that. I, however, if that's a quick answer, I think keeping your peripheral vision open because there are um, so many out there. If I think of um, international organizations, um, we've recently become certified by the Center of Fiduciary Excellence. We're hoping to join the Global Association of Independent Advisors. I love stalking um, American <laughs> people like Zero Alpha Group, Ritzold, uh, Ritzold Wealth, Buckingham Asset Management, uh, mm -hmm. these great firms to learn in the UK, Humans Under Management produce, um, Andy Hart from Maven Advisor produces unbelievable videos uh, and knowledge, knowledge leadership. And I think keeping our peripheral vision open to what other movers and shakers are doing around the world only helps mm -hmm. us build up our own best practice and that's what i love about financial services there's so many really passionate people who are committed to uh, believing that financial services should be a force for good and that if we keep our peripheral vision open we can learn and springboard our own organizations our own businesses and our own outcomes we get for clients much further forward so peripheral vision and of course there's eye view now you have to tell us, Sam, who was the last person you stalked? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. The, I have been spending a lot of time actually uh, on Michael himself because he's recently joined Buckingham Asset Management. And yes. I think busting yeah. Buckingham Asset Management um, are interesting because they've, they've got both the ensemble practice and the solo practice. Um, they've merged um, Loring Ward and Buckingham Advisor Services, I think, have become mer merged together. And so they've got an ensemble practice and the solo um, pra practices and under-focused financial. And I think that it's interesting because the soloist model is here to stay and you've got great passionate people adopting that. And you've also got the move towards the, the ensemble practice and I think what Buckingham are doing in that space is exciting and interesting so I spent a lot of time stalking them. Well thank you so much for joining us this was an amazing discussion and we're, we're very excited to have you on our first episode of Advice Around the World. Yeah thanks Sam hope it wasn't too too daunting and intimidating a process for you but there's some great <laughs> stories there and it was really really great to hear about all of that. It's been a real pleasure thank, thank you guys.
Thank you so much for joining us on our first episode of CityWire Advice Around the World. Again, we are Amelia Garland and Ian Horn, and we are here to find and share the stories behind the international financial planning community. Follow us on our next podcast to Australia.